Good morning. First, I want to recognize all of you for that $34,000 to the Methodist Children's Home. Please, please give yourselves a round of gratitude applause. That is wonderful. They will be able to do so much with your gift. So thank you so much for your generosity. So I want to ask you, do you remember when you realized that your parents were real people? <laughs> like when you realized, oh, they had a life before me? <laughs> they had friends and had their own childhood and teachers and classrooms and they had fights with their siblings. And I don't know, I guess the first time I really realized that was in college. And I thought, huh. Wow, my mom's a more of a person than I realized. <laughs> and once, once I realized that, I thought, oh, I have a lot more compassion. I have a lot more understanding. I have a new perspective on this person that has just always been in my life. I, even though it changed my perspective, it just grew my perspective. There are some things that are so integral to our lives that we would never, we never really consider the world hasn't always had it or it hasn't always been that way. I don't know about you, but we always watch on the 4th of July, 1776. Does anybody, is that just us? That might just be us. <laughs> It's a musical and it's great and it talks about all the coming together of the country and all the people and all the uh, discussions and the thoughts and the arguments and it makes me appreciate, oh, it wasn't always this way. It took a lot of people and places and arguments and thoughts and ideas to get to where we have this thing that we just get to celebrate. But no created thing in all of existence has had more influence, has endured longer with more influence than this book right here. No created thing has influenced more people more places around the world for longer than the Bible. How often have we, do we stop to consider how we actually got this? Every once in a while, you know, when we are teaching or reading or studying, we'll learn, you know, who wrote, maybe who wrote what book or when they wrote that book or who they were writing to, but we, hardly ever stop to consider, well, why that book? Why is that one here? Why was that so important to include? This series is called Unleashing the Bible because we want both you and the Bible to be unleashed. We want your fears, your questions, your doubts, your misunderstandings, your interpretation to all be released, to feel free, to let the Bible come alive for you, 
We want you to loosen your grip on how you understand scripture and let God's truth speak for itself. The goal is for your relationship with scripture and therefore God to transform. Through the richness of scripture, what could God be teaching you? One of the ways to unleash the Bible is to learn about where it came from. How, how did we get it? <laughs> how did this book come to be? This book, this Bible, is the inspired word of God. It's where God reveals so much truth about who God is, about God's patience and mercy and love, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. So much truth of God is revealed in these words. But this book didn't just drop out of the sky. So how, how did this influential book that guides our every day, how did it come to be? Well, over the next 20 minutes, we will cover 3,000 years of church history just to learn a little taste of how this book came to be. But before we get started, let's just get on the same page here. The Bible is the inspired word of God. God reveals truth through it, but it is not God, right? It's created. It's, it reveals about God, but it itself is not God. Now, Acts 15 gives a little insight, a little insight into the means of a little bit of how we got this. Uh, Acts itself is the story of the early church, the first Christians, uh, not even 10 years after Jesus ascended. And the disciples were charged with teaching all nations about Jesus's way. They were charged with teaching, him of this, teaching them of this way of love, this way to God is the way of salvation, this way of love. But it wasn't all of five minutes before they got into an argument about something, about how they should teach. And many of the people that the disciples were teaching were not Jewish people. The people that they were telling about Je telling Jesus, um, telling about Jesus were Gentile people. They were not Jewish. They did not follow the law of Moses at all. But some people, the Pharisees, which is a real shocker, they thought that <laughs> they should have to do all the things that we had to do. They should have to follow the law of Moses. They should uh, have to, that includes everything, including circumcision. So we pick up in Acts chapter 15 and verse two, it says that Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. And finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some of the local believers to talk to the apostles and to the elders about this very question. The church sent delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. 
They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. Brothers and sisters, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God? by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Hard to argue with that. Peter has kind of the command of the room type personality, I assume. So this gathering, this informal discussion where they go to Jerusalem to resolve this matter with the elders and the apostles and some believers of the church, this was what we know as the Council of Jerusalem. It's the very first church meeting ever. (laughs) The first of SPRC meetings and finance meetings and annual conferences and all of that good stuff, we can thank the Council of Jerusalem. This is the first time they've gathered together and they have no formal organization or hierarchy, really. They have no precedence for what do we do with this law that we've been reading, our ancestors have been reading for a thousand years, and also what we know about Jesus. There's no precedence for how do we reconcile these two things. And in the end, when he he uses words from Amos and Isaiah, some of the prophets, the apostle James stands up, Jesus' brother. He was at the council, and he says, my judgment is that we should not make it more difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So this scripture that they had been reading from, the law of Moses was a holy scripture. It comes from Exodus. This, the thing that they had been raised with, that their ancestors had been raised with, that I identified them as a people. All of a sudden, that thousand years of interpretation changed. Can you do that? I guess you can. God continued to reveal truth to them. That, hey, you were thinking about it this way, and that was working. But now I've sent Jesus, and he's taught this way. And now that you're dealing with this situation, 
I might be teaching you a new thing. This thing that they had been reading from Exodus, Exodus from the Torah. The Torah is those first five books of what we know as the Old Testament, but what Jewish people don't call Old Testament, they just have the Hebrew Bible, uh, is the most authoritative of their texts. They have the Torah, and then they have the prophets, and then they have the wisdom literature, the Psalms, the, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. But the Torah was the most authoritative, and with a, one meeting, our interpretation changed. Now, I've tried to make a very, very condensed timeline of the history of the Bible. That these Hebrew scriptures, it, will, this, it starts with this, the Hebrew scriptures are dated back to the first ones probably written around 1,400 years before Jesus. And the last ones of the Hebrew scriptures were written about 400 years before Jesus. So that covers 1,000 years a thousand years, over the course of a thousand years, what we know as the Old Testament was written. And then just a couple years, or a couple hundred years after the last of the Old Testament was written, about 200 years before Jesus, a team of about 70 scribes, Jewish scribes, were tasked with translating the texts that were only ever in Hebrew into Greek, because that's the language that was spoken and was known at the time. The Greeks were the ones who were ruling the people of Israel and all that area in the Mediterranean, so they were tasked with translating it into Greek. And this translation was known as the Septuagint, and this will become important later. It was important to them always, but for our sake, in a few hundred years, we'll recall this. But by the first century before Jesus, about a hundred years before Jesus, they had solidified, these are our texts. These are the ones that we will turn to for authority. The Torah, the Navim, and the Ketuvim. And that's just the law, the prophets, and the wisdom. So a hundred years before Jesus, that Old Testament was set it was canonized. And if you're doing any Bible history, canonized or canon or canonization, that word will pop up all over because the history of the Bible is really the history of the canonization. The canon is, an, is simply the authoritative list of books accepted as holy scripture. They're sanctioned or accepted group or body of related works. So these are the books by which, these are authoritative. This is, these are the books by which we will hold every other word, every other uh, experience, every other uh, writing. We will hold everything up to this and compare it to this. To this. I have a prop this time. But then that again begs the question, well then how, who got to decide? How, how did they get to decide what got to make it in and what was authoritative? So we know much more about how we got 
the New Testament. It was written significantly later. It was written around year 50 to year 100-ish, so the last half of that first century. Those are the Gospels, those are uh, Paul's letters, Peter's letters, the, uh, John's, and all, everything you have in the New Testament was all written within a span of about 50 years. So compare that to the thousand of years that we have from the Old Testament. Now these, these books of the New Testament were being circulated. They were, they were simply written on little papyrus, whatever scraps they had. They were being circulated around the little churches all around the Mediterranean. So the church in Antioch only had one, maybe two, if they were lucky. And then the church in Galatia probably only, they had Paul's letter, wasn't very nice, but they had it. <laughs> they had maybe a gospel. The, the churches all only had bits and pieces, but that was what they used to worship. They would gather around and listen to the one person who could read, and they would hear Mark, the gospel. They would sit and listen, and that's what they would hear every single time they gathered. But Mark was just as good as Matthew and Luke was also pretty good too and John and they started to realize as the council started to meet and people started to get together and they decided, huh, we should probably put together something for everybody so that everybody can know what's the right teaching what we really believe. So the, they came up with, they had sort of rules for this canonization, and I'll just go through them really briefly. That first was, you know, when was, who was this written by? Is this attributed to Peter? Because if so, cool. We know Peter was with Jesus. Peter's a firsthand account. Paul, Paul is also probably pretty good. Even though he's a secondhand account, he wasn't right on the ground with Jesus, but he, he got some real interaction. So it, it was all attributed to who, who was the guy writing this here? We want, we want to make sure that they are telling a, that their, their authority was carried, that they, they had something real to say. It wasn't just a, sec, a third or fourth or fifth hand account or some random Joe writing about Jesus. Then there was the similarity and a dissimilarity rule that comparing, looking at all of them together, you wanted them to be pretty similar. You wanted them to tell, teach about the same God, that God doesn't sound different here than God sounds here, that Jesus taught something here and taught something very similar, if not identical here. We want that to be the same. And then dissimilar is that if, ooh, if they were teaching some weird stuff, we might not want to include that because that's not who we know God to be. But we want them to be maybe just dissimilar enough that that makes it more true. You know, eyewitness accounts, when everybody tells the same story, word for word, it makes it seem made up. But if they're a little different, it makes, them see, makes it more believable and true. And finally, when were they written? They need to be first or second-hand accounts. So you gotta be in the first century. 
can't really get too much uh, about, we can't really trust something that was written 150 years after Jesus walked the earth about what Jesus said and taught, you know? So they had to come up with some logical guidelines. So those were the rules for the New Testament canon, but they also universally accepted the Old Testament as authoritative. They said, this is part of our story. This is, this belongs to us too. And so with that, in 382, the Council of Rome canonized the 73 books. Now we'll fast forward 1,200 years over councils and arguments and disagreements and interpretations and beheadings and martyrdoms and all kinds of fun stuff. We're skipping all over that um, to the Protestant Reformation where our friend Martin Luther is on the scene. And the thing about Martin Luther, one of his greatest contributions was that he said the Bible needs to be accessible for people. People need, if this is God's word for people, people need to be able to understand it. Because before, it was just being read aloud in Latin or Greek. And how helpful would that be for you if Daniel or I or Doug stood up here and just read it from Hebrew or Greek? That would not be helpful. You would not get (laughs) very much. You probably wouldn't come back. So he also, in making the Bible more accessible, he also suggested, hey, there's about seven books from this Old Testament that actually the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish people don't actually use those. Uh, They don't consider those uh, part of their canon. So let's go ahead and, they're still helpful. So let's, let's stick them at the end. We'll call them the Apocrypha or the deuterocanonical books, if you want to sound real fancy. And so that's how we, as a Protestant church, got our 66-book Bible. Only took us 1,500 years. But do you see how many hands and arguments and ideas and discussions and thoughts and years went into making this Bible here in your pew, in your bookshelf, on your nightstand, on your coffee table. How many thousands of people of faith were determined that other people needed to know the truth about God? Other people needed to hear these stories. They needed to know that God was a God of love and mercy, that God has been at work in the world from the very beginning. They knew that people needed to hear, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God is my refuge and strength. A present help in times of trouble. They knew people needed to hear, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. All the people throughout the thousands of years 
God worked through each of them to make sure that we could still continue to know about God. The Bible itself is evidence of God's loving truth enduring throughout time. I don't know about you, but I feel like the history of the Bible is actually much more miraculous than a book just dropping out of the sky. It's a miracle that people could agree on things. That not only a handful of people, but thousands of people over the course of thousands of years. I mean, think of how your perspectives and ideas have changed over just your lifetime and who you disagree with over just small things. And yet, <laughs> this book that has texts from 3,000 years ago is sitting in your hands in Flower Mound, Texas. Clearly, this book contains truth that can transform your life. Clearly, God wants to speak to you through this book. You have one right at your fingertips. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And it shows how God continues to reveal. God inspires not only the writing, but the reading, the compiling, the receiving, the hearing, the studying, the teaching, and the preaching of this word. Every time you encounter scripture, you are being inspired by God. How will you let God transform your life through this God's holy word? Let us pray. Loving God, I thank you for this, your holy word. It's truly mind-blowing to me that people throughout time and history were so faithful that you inspired so many people, God, and that your truth endures through it all. Thank you, God, for this, these words of love and peace and hope and mercy. God, may these words inspire us by your spirit and transform our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.